1: Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm Amy Frost. My guest today is international four-star eventer, Lauren Blades. Her business is called Shannon Eventing, and she kindly shares some advice on how to make your yard and your business more professional, along with some stories of her eventing and Lauren's horses. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. Today we have a lovely lady called Lauren Blade. She's a four-star event rider. And I was introduced to Lauren by one of her owners because I was fascinated to understand the, the role that's played between um, an owner and a rider. And so the lovely Miranda said, you must talk to Lauren. She's an amazing rider. She's doing all these incredible things. And more, and more importantly, she absolutely adores my horse. So welcome to the Horse Hour podcast, Lauren. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm great. Isn't that a really lovely thing to know, though, that your owner, one of the owners of your horses, not only loves you riding, but knows that you care about her horse so much, which is really important to her.
0: Yeah, well, we're um, we're a really small team um, at at home, and uh, our our owners are really quite a quite a lovely bunch of people and that's something that we all have in common really is that we're all doing it for for the love of the horses more than anything and um, it's it's kind of brought a really lovely group of people together actually.
1: Well it's quite hard isn't it I think in our industry because it's so competitive now that sometimes the owners get competitive and I do feel that not a lot of the time they're putting the horses first, but it is, it's is—it's almost like it's refreshing to hear that the horses are put first now because there's so much money involved and there's so much time involved. Um, and I just love to hear that both riders and owners are on the same page. Yeah, it's um, it's
0: something that we've, you know, learned over over time, really, is that um, if if you end up working with like minded people, then it's so much easier to get results and to get you know um to get through those really pressured situations so um it it actually kind of becomes self-selecting um you know we uh we kind of end up dealing with with lovely people who who love their horses and
1: work with them for the same reasons Mm. that we do and the proofs in the pudding because it's working isn't it you're doing really well at the moment where where have you been competing lately um we've kind of been all over our our spring season's
0: just finished so we were at tattersall's and Bramham this spring we've um our our season begins in March with um, British venting, so we we're, we're basically out every weekend from the beginning of March. Um, we we have a bit of a lull in June, and then it kind of all starts
1: kicking off again
0: now, and and the
1: autumn campaign starts. Do you ever get that moment where you think, oh man, I just need a break, like because it's a lot. It's re- venting is really full on, isn't it? It
0: it is full on in the season, um, but luckily the we we do always try and have a really quiet June and, and then a really quiet end of the season. So we're very lucky in, in that respect. And to be honest, I think I kind of thrive off of the fact that we're doing something every weekend.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And do you have any partners? Do they, do they mind you being busy every weekend? Um, so my husband and I have been together for
0: seven years now, and I think I'd known him probably two weeks before he came onto the yard (laughs) because, (laughs) because really that's the only time he's ever going to see me is if he comes to the yard. So, um, he actually, um, I think probably four years ago, gave up his job and started working with me in order that we could expand the business. And, um, and so now we work together as well. And um, mm. to be honest, I couldn't do it without him. Oh, what did he do before? Um, he's, um, he's always worked in rural industries. He's worked in estate management and, um, and in, in shooting. So he's, he's always worked in, in kind of rural industry, but definitely never with horses before
1: it's so funny because my husband's very similar um in that he's never worked on an estate um but you know he he now works on our little our little farm that we have and so teaching him to do diy and put up fencing was hilarious for the first time you know and then eventually he got to grips with it whilst previously he wasn't even allowed to put up a picture frame until we got the yard (laughs) But it's quite fun, isn't it, having them around, being uh, you know them being really part of it, and then I guess you, you still then get that family time. But it is really important to take time out and um, and actually just enjoy time with each other as a family, and then enjoy your horses as well, because otherwise it can become a bit of a chore, can't it?
0: Yeah, well, and what what Tom's brought to it is he's brought a real air of professionality to it because he, having never worked in the equestrian industry. Um, doesn't abide this idea that we should be any less professional than any other industry. So mm. um, you know he he's been really good for for me and um, and for our business because he's he's kind of he's pulled us up by the socks and everything we do is all above board and legal and he knows where we stand with everything and you know it it gives you a real it it kind of gives you a real confidence in what you do because you know he's he's got every base covered and um and to be honest i i actually couldn't do it without him so uh mm. yeah so he gets lots of kudos
1: <laughs> the question industry can be seen as a hobby and when you're making that step from a hobby to a professional business i absolute kudos to you both for for doing it all completely properly because we, I don't know why I mean everything should be done properly including the invoicing and the tax and the you know the, the health and safety and the employment it actually is a business but we do find that we let things go because it started as a hobby. Well exactly and
0: I think because it for so many people it um, it grows organically so it grows from from being in the back garden and doing it with your mum to to kind of slowly progressing into something more and if you're not if you're not careful, then suddenly you find yourself, you know, with looking at something that is now a fully fledged business, except for the fact that you've, you've skipped so many steps in between. So, um, hmm. so yeah, so it's, it's very good having him around because he's a, he's a real dose of fresh air. <laughs>
1: But it's important as well, Lauren, and I think you're a great advocate for people that are running businesses because to say, you know, you should do it properly, um, because I, I really believe that. And, you know, I, I have a livery yard myself, and I send out contracts, and I apologize every time I send out a contract. <laughs> I send it so I'm really sorry that, that I've got to do this, because it's ridiculous. I've, never, I've worked in so many industries, but for some reason, this one, I feel like apologizing for every time I, I do anything that could be seen as, you know, legal or you know um i just feel a bit too much but we do need it to protect ourselves i guess and
0: and what you have to remember is that it it protects you but it also protects the client and and ultimately what what can seem like something slightly awkward at the beginning um what you're trying what you're actually doing is kind of quantifying your worth you know because you're you're saying this is a service i'm providing this is this is something that's that's worth money to and worth time to both me and you and let's um you know let's make sure that we're all protected in this and actually that's what we found is that as we've raised our standards in that respect we found that the people who have sought us out and who now work with us you know cl- uh, you know clients owners that kind of thing are now people with very similar ethos to us and and um, very similar mindsets so it, it helps kind of make your business self-selecting, which which is fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear your side of the, the, the coin as well, because there are many livery yards out there and riding schools, but then you ride for owners as well. So what I hear from two-star and three-star riders is they're so grateful for the, the support from the owners that they find it hard to make that step. So how did you make that change from... I'm sure you're super, super grateful, but then to, like you said, saying, you know, I'm good enough to, to actually get paid to do this and, um, and make it into a fully fledged contract business.
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, it, it is a very, um, that's a very thin line, you know, and it's, and it's a hard one to, to kind of walk sometimes. Um, but, and you, and you do find that people do, people will, will push that line as much as they can. And it's not because they're, they're, you know, being pushy with you and thinking they can walk all over you, but because you have to remember it's, it's an expensive sport and they don't want to spend money if they don't have to. Um, and the other thing is that for every, every person who has to pay the mortgage and pay the staff and, and, and do everything, you know, properly, there's probably someone who can work from home and can do everything pretty much themselves. So they don't have to you know, pay extra staff. And, um, and so there's always somebody who will probably be able to undercut you on price. So I think for us, it was that realization, well, we're never going to be the cheapest, because we've got to, we've got to make ends meet. So you have to find your USP, you have to find, you know, what is slightly different from everybody else, and what can, can give you that unique selling point that, that makes it worth it for people. And for for me, that was the realization that owners do want to be involved with their horses. You know, the, the owners that we have, they want to know what's going on. They want good communication. They they want to know that we care for the horses as much as they care for the horses. And, um, and then you have to, you know, it takes a certain amount of balls because then you have to stand up and say, great, you know, now I've realized that I'm going to put a price on it. And that price has to be more than what it costs me to do it because I've got to make some money. No, it's so true.
1: Yeah. And like you said earlier, it is knowing your worth.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I do think that's something, tra- you know, traditionally that I have struggled with. And it's something that you you almost have to set your price and then you have to stick by it. And if it means you're quiet for a month, you have to think it's just allowing me time to do more networking, to do more marketing, to, you know, t- it's doing it's giving me more opportunity to create the situation that will allow for a better horse to come into that stable or you know an owner with three horses rather than one or you know it's like you know you kind of have to think even something not going perfectly or meaning that you're a little bit quiet should be giving you opportunity rather than thinking oh god i've put my prices up and now i you know, now no one wants to come mm-hmm. to me.
1: <laughs> but how do you deal with owners that maybe become a little bit over familiar? Because we find that in our industry as well is that they is, is because we're looking after their pride and joy, we're looking after their babies. Uh, sometimes they they, they, they they become your friend. But I was always told that when when you someone's oh, yeah. paying you, then they're not your friend. You know, if they're your friend, you do it for free. But then you can't run a business if you're doing everything for free. So, it, again, it's another fine line, isn't it, between uh, at what point are they a friend as opposed to being a client?
0: Yeah, well, I think um, I – I this is where maybe I differ slightly. I do think someone can be both. Um, but I think you just have to be very good at separating the two. You know, it's um, it's one thing to go out to dinner with them and to party with them and – you know to invite them to your wedding that kind of thing you know i have, i have i have owners and clients who came to came to to our wedding and you know we see them on a very social level um but when i get on their horse i get on their horse and compete their horse with them knowing that i'm doing it professional i'm not hung over from a party the night before i'm not you know flying by the seat of my pants i've done my preparation and i'm i'm um i'm doing a job for them uh and luckily to be, to be honest, we've really never found that that line has, has crossed really. Um, I'd say the only other thing we have is that when we were building our yard, because our yard is, um, is, a, is a yard we've built from scratch, so the house was already there. When we were designing the yard, we contemplated either putting the yard in front of or behind the house. And rather than put it behind the house so that people could drive past the house, we put the yard in front so that people don't see our house. And actually, our clients don't come to our front door, you know, it's the yard is the yard, people don't come to the house. And that seems to be a very good thing as well. So if we're having a day off, people people don't come to the
1: house. No, and I think when you're working that closely with people, they're, they're kind of respectful as well to your time. Most people respect that. They understand that you need to have a work-life balance and they just expect you to put everything into their horses while you're with them, which is fair enough, I think. How long have you had your owners with you? Um, some of them
0: quite a while and some of them fairly new. Um, we've got some owners who have been with us probably since before we built the yard where it is now. So that's probably eight or nine years. Um, and then some that have come on board fairly recently. And um, and yeah, there seems to be kind of a, there seems to be kind of a natural progression where every couple of years we get a, you know, we get a couple more owners coming on board and that might be because we have space come up and it might be because, um, because we've been recommended. And um, so we don't have a huge turnover of owners if that makes sense but we do get we do get new we do get new blood every mm. so often
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's nice it keeps it fresh as well doesn't it to have to have new people around I guess with new ideas and like you said earlier if they're all like-minded then uh, hopefully everybody gets on quite well and Lauren can you share a little yeah. bit about your history because you've got such an eclectic accent
0: yeah um I was I was actually born in this country I was born down in Brighton all my extended family still live down there Um, But when I was three, my parents moved out to the States for work. And so uh, me and my younger sister went with them and grew up in the States, very quintessential small town in the middle of the Rocky mountains um, with really not very many horses around. (laughs) You know, um, it was, it was only through a um, through a friend I met at primary school who had a ranch that we ended up going and, and even seeing horses. And my dad does, Say he remembers when we first went to the ranch and he said, You got out of the car screaming because you were scared of the <laughs> dogs that were running around. You know, that's that's how much of a, a t- like kind of non-animal kid I was. Um, he said, But then you looked up at this horse and he said, Your whole life was decided there, and then, you know, there was nothing else you were gonna do with your life. <laughs> um so uh so yeah, so I grew up there and I went to high school, and then because I had been born in this country. Um, I was a British citizen, so I couldn't do young riders in the in the states. And also, where we lived was not really conducive to a competition schedule. Um, so I happened to meet Mark and Tanya Kyle. Um, Mark's an Irish event rider. Tanya was a British event rider. They now mostly show jump with their daughter Tabitha. Um, and uh, I I met them on the off chance, and they offered me a place as a working pupil. And so I, I came over and did a summer as a working pupil and decided that,
1: yes, this was in fact what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Wow, <laughs> so you really had it set then. You were driven, you knew what you wanted to do.
0: Yeah, I remember having breakfast with a lot of girlfriends before I moved to England when I finished high school. And they were all, you know, trying to decide which university they were going to and they were wondering what it was they wanted to do with their life. And I remember one of my girlfriends saying, just so jealous because you just at least you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and your parents did they move back to the UK with you, or or do they just say, you know, no, no,
0: they're in the states, yeah. They're, um, they they love where they live, and I, I love it too. It's great for a holiday, <laughs> and um, uh, and they're not they're not horsey people, you know, they're um, they're enjoying where they live, and uh, and I've got extended family down south, so i'm only a few hours from them so uh so yeah it kind of works well i always say um an, a good ocean really helps you get along with your parents
1: because <laughs> <laughs> you know what you need. <laughs> so, so yeah. how how did you end up then making the move from because you're in leicestershire now so so from when you moved back to the uk did you move straight to leicestershire or did you do some traveling around or how did it work out So because
0: I was, I came as a working people from Mark and Tanya, they were based at Arena UK, which is a show center in Lincolnshire. Um, So I was based with them for a year. um, And then uh, that was basically my gap year. And then I applied to five universities, basically the the closest ones to where they (laughs) were. So I kind of went as far, as far up as York and as far down as Cambridge. And, um, and I ended up going to Loughborough University. And when I came to Loughborough, Mark and Tanya happened to move their yard to a village called Wineswald, which is about twenty minutes outside of Loughborough, near to Nottingham. And um, and so I I basically started renting a yard off of them um, because they have a, a much bigger setup where they are now, and um, rented a yard from them for five or six years through uni and after it, and then um, and then we bought our place and, and built our yard so we're now next door neighbors to them
1: oh yeah. wow gosh that's amazing so actually yeah. at a very young age you were you were going to so you were going to uni and running a business at the same time yes
0: yeah which did result in me mostly running a business and not doing yeah. very much uni no.
1: so <laughs> did you com- did you complete uni no, I did no. the first two years. <laughs> well, yeah. to be fair, Lauren, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised you did two years at all because, or even even yeah. the thought process of going to, you know, even signing up to university because most of us, when we're, we're hell-bent on having horses, we know where we want to go. It's like uni doesn't yeah. even come into it, you know? Yeah,
0: I know. But it does, I mean, I, I think uni is great either when you don't know what you want to do or when you're doing a very specific vocation. But I was... I was studying English, which was never really going to help me run a business. And then I switched to business studies. But equally so, you know, macroeconomics isn't really going to help you run a small business.
1: <laughs> mm. Well, I don't know. I feel like we need it right now. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and how, when did you meet your husband?
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
0: So I just met him uh probably about eight years ago now, just through mutual friends, very boring, just at a birthday party. And um, well we'd actually met the year previously at the Cotsmore summer ball. Um, but um but we'd just been on the same table and I, I remember I remember saying hello to him and then he promptly went out of my mind you know like, oh. like i just <laughs> met him in passing and then didn't see him for a year and then met him at this birthday party and yeah we we've, we've been and together ever it. since
1: oh it's lovely so it wasn't love at first sight to start with then seeing as uh, although i hear that a lot of people get married they're like oh no i didn't even really fancy them to start with they kind of they were a grower
0: <laughs> i know poor poor tom he, he'll kill me for saying this but um uh my big issue i remember my. Sister, after I first met him, and you know, properly, and I, I rang my sister and she said, Oh, where are you? And I said, Oh, I'm just coming back from a date. And she said, Oh, is he nice? And I said, Oh, yeah, he's lovely. I said, Oh, but he really is short. And he's not short, he's five foot ten, but oh. <laughs> you know, he wasn't six foot
1: three. <laughs> the poor guy had to work very hard (laughs) well clearly that wasn't a non-negotiable he won that one in the end yeah exactly exactly and what was it like when he first introduced because because how did you introduce yourself did you introduce yourself as a rider as a yard owner as a businesswoman What, what how did you introduce what you do yeah well I so I just I just told him I was
0: an event rider but he actually um I think he knew of me already from from the horses I think he you know because of the industry he was in and and also um the mutual friends we had he kind of already knew kind of what I was up to but I think I think I did a really good job of making it look a lot more professional than it probably was at the time <laughs> from the outside you know I think he I think he kind of met me thinking wow this woman's really got her shit together and then <laughs> and then and then he met me more and he was like okay wait actually oh, yeah. she's lying about it. <laughs>
1: She needs me. She needs some help. Yeah, exactly. It, I just find it really fascinating the first introduction to the horses. You know, of like, okay, this is us. We, we're we're really together. We're okay. And then uh, we introduce them to the horses, and 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 everything just goes out the window. The first time that they have to poo pick the field, the first time they have to put hay out, and it's like you have that they have the look on their face of what have I walked into? <laughs> like, how early do you introduce them to this world of what a worm is and why you need to look for worms in poo? <laughs> I, um, I remember
0: saying to him once, I said, oh, do you want me to teach you how to, because he was, you know, he was leading and filling water buckets and he, you know, he could do those, those kind of, you know, very more, sim- more simple tasks. Mm. And I said, oh, do you want me to teach you how to pick out their feet? And he looked at me and just went, <laughs> no,
1: because <laughs> <laughs> if you teach me, I'll have to do it. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, bless him. <laughs> like he does now know how to pick out feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I bet he knows how to wrap, to bandage, to lead first aid. He's got to know it all now. Um, and then, you know, seven years down the line, eight years down the line, you're now married, and you've and you've got your own yard and together as a couple, which I think is really lovely. So, um, can you tell me more about your horses, then, Lauren? Because uh, you you've tell me some of the places that you've ridden at recently. Um,
0: well, so this year we've ridden at Tattersalls and Bramham. Um, we uh, with a couple horses, uh, two horses who are both mares called Jamila and Freckleton Mythago. Um, and Jamila is a new ride for me this year. Um, but Margo, the Freckleton Mythago horse is a mare I took on last year. Um, and she is one of those horses who's, uh, she's 12 years old now, so she's really in her prime. Uh, but for, for different reasons, she's, Missed out on a season here, or there, or um, you know, been a been a bit from pillar to post. And she is one of those horses that just took a little bit of understanding and getting our getting our head round. And she's a, she's a really exciting horse. And um, the family who own her, the Davenport's, Katie and Jamie, and they've got three children as well. They're incredibly supportive of all the work we've done with her. It's you know, it's. It's been a real fast track with her. I did I did two novices on her last year, and then this year she did one intermediate, and then she went straight to a four star short, um, and then did another four star short. So oh. she kind of oh. has not had many runs this season, and and has really ramped up the you know the technicality and what she's doing. And she's one of those horses that just wants it. You know, she really really wants it. So um, so she's a very exciting horse um, for us to be working with. And then um, I've got a lovely gelding called Rodnikova Dream, whose owner, Angela Schumann, lives in Norfolk. And um, he's competing at three-star level. Uh, he's um, He just went to Houghton this year in Norfolk for his first long-format three-star. Um, and he's, again, another another horse I think a lot of. Um, he is a very big horse. He is by Jaguar male, which means... He is only 17 seventeen two, but he looks about 18 eighteen two. Oh,
1: and Jaguar <laughs> and, uh, Male is owned by Lucinda Fredericks, is that right?
0: Uh, well, she has she bred Bita- Britannia's male, who yeah. is a is a I think he's a son of Jaguar Male. So um, Jaguar Male, the stallion itself, I think he is standing at Twemlow Stud in the UK this year. But um, but I don't think he's owned by Lucinda.
1: Oh, okay, um, my mistake.
0: Yeah, but um but he's a he's a prolific eventing sire. So um so this this horse has has plenty of jump. And he so he actually is half brother to Miranda Harrison's horse, the Coulston um, Coolston Top Cat, who so he's also by Jaguar Male, again another very big horse that Miranda has produced from a from a four-year-old. She she bought him as a foal, produced him um all the way up through novice level, um, and I was teaching her on him. And um and basically she kind of got to novice and was very successful with him at novice, but I think that's kind of where where her legs want to stop kicking. (laughs) Probably (laughs) probably the nicest way to say because, you know, at the end of the day she's she's got um more than just event horses to do. She she runs a livery yard, she's very busy. So she asked if I'd like to um to take on the ride to take him up to Intermediate. And again, say same kind of outlook as the other two horses I was mentioning. You know, he just wants to do it. And You know when they want to do it, even if even if they're not, you know, physically the most natural horse. Although although I'd say TC is pretty pretty, you know, strong physically. Um, you know, even if they're they're not perfect, which no horse is if they just want it they'll find a way to make it happen and I, I truly believe that that is the making of an event horse
1: I'm I'm fascinated I'm listening to you intently because I feel like I've just planned my yearling's life now forever so he's going to okay. go to Miranda when he's three because I, I literally don't have a clue what I'm doing so he needs to go to Miranda and then he's going to move on to you Lauren because I really believe he's going to be huge he's standing at 15 mm-hmm. hands already and he's only 14 oh, months goodness. old <laughs> yeah. and- He's very bold. Yeah, he is. And he's very bold and brave. And, and I'm finding from from watching his mannerisms and his personality now he could, I think he could easily make it as an eventer or a show jumper because he just has exactly what you're saying. They want to do it. You know, he'll canter down the side of the field along the fence line and he'll jump his water bucket just for fun so yeah. <laughs> they do they do have it in it in them um but also is is there a line do you ever find that, that horses that want to do things but also horses that want to do it for you that maybe uh, how do you find distinguish that difference between horses that just just want to do anything they can for you as their rider and their owner because they trust you as opposed to well, yeah. because it's ingrained in them and, and it's just natural
0: Yeah, it's, um, well, I, to be honest, I think the two probably go hand in hand. Um, You know, a horse only, you you only know that a horse wants to do it if you give them the opportunity to do it. And then, and then back off and say, okay, do do you want it? You know, um, uh, horses in training, they, they might occasionally need telling, but most of the time they need showing. And, um, and I think if you, if you show a horse what you want, and then they pick up that slack and say, yep, now i'm gonna i'm gonna take the the information you've given me and i'm gonna i'm gonna move that forward that's you know that's what you want and i think that's a big progression for a rider and i think that's probably a very big difference between amateurs and professionals is that um amateurs um i often find because i do a lot of teaching they want to know how they make it happen and they you know they do need to make it happen they need to use their legs loads more than they think they probably need to have their hands lower than they think and you know there's there's different ways that you can tell horses to do things correctly but ultimately you're not doing it for them at at the base of the fence you sit back you let them jump the fence you know and uh um so so I kind of think the two go hand in hand
1: Mm. I wouldn't be able to do I can't make a horse do anything Laura and it's like (laughs) I just sit and kick and hope and (laughs) You know, I want to turn left. We go, there, come there on, are worse things. There yeah. are worse things to do than sit and kick and hope. <laughs> <laughs> So for riders then that are, are, are making that leap from amateur to professional, the only the only difference I can hear is that uh, a professional gets paid for doing what they do whilst an amateur has to pay for themselves. But there are a lot of two-star, three-star riders that are being paid to ride at that level. Would they be considered as professionals? Well, yeah, and I do,
0: that's where I don't think you can really look at the level because, because if we say that you can't be professional until you're a three-star rider... You know, I know plenty of people who produce and ride incredibly well and do really, really great things with horses, but they never work with them after they're five years old. You know, they just produce them when they're young. So, um, so I don't think it's that you have to be competing at a certain level. I think having competed at a certain level probably gives you um, confidence and, and a certain intuition for, for those competition situations. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't, you know, the best competitor in the world isn't necessarily the best horse trainer in the world, if that makes sense. Mm, mm, um, no, so, so, true. so I don't, yeah, so I don't think you have to be, but equally so, I don't think you have to be one or the other, you know, you can be a, you can be a, a, a trainer, a producer and a competitor. Um, but, uh, but I think the, the most important thing is that if you want to do it professionally is that you you find you find what sets you apart from everybody else and whether that's how you treat the horses whether that's the experience you can give your owners whether that's the fact that you've got amazing facilities so it means that you can give a horse a lot of experience you know through your own facilities over for short-term training or whatever you know you you find that and you
1: work with that. Can you move down to the new forest, please, Lauren? That would be fabulous. <laughs> Can you just come and set up down here? Maybe <laughs> we need a twin of yours. We just need to make like loads of little mini Laurens all around the UK. It would be fabulous. Because oh, <laughs> I think it's fabulous. Family. Do you have your own? New cru- far- the new forest sounds lovely for a holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a um,
0: do you have a cross country course as well? Um, so uh Field Farm Cross Country is, is literally next next door to us, which is a um uh, which is a schooling cross-country course run by Joe Shields, who's a BHSAI ai um, instructor. And um, so we, we do have access to a cross-country course within, ha- within very close hacking distance, you know, about 600 yards. Oh,
1: amazing. Um,
0: and, um, and that is the reason we're based where we're based still, is it's, you know, um, it's a very horsey area. View Equestrian Centre is five minutes down the road so many events are within an hour, hour and a half of us. You know, I know that the Southeast has, has always traditionally been a big eventer area in the UK, but, um, but actually, you know, where, where we are is, is a fantastic place to, to kind of produce and train event horses. Um, mm. So I, I don't see us ever wanting to move from this area while we're doing what we're doing.
1: No, and so many people are moving now from the south further up north because, um, one, the pro- you just get so much more for your money. There's more land available, there's less it, It's just it is beautiful. Everything, everything's you're rocking it up there. Everything's up there. I'm in the wrong part mm-hmm. of town. I need to, <laughs> I've got too many hills around yes. me, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing people are moving to Leicestershire, Lincolnshire, um. Yorkshire, you know, it's just all these horsey places up in the Midlands, Uh, and and actually, I think maybe British eventing is seeing that now, which is why we've got less competitions. There are less events down here, you know. They're both mostly based up the Midlands and and up up north as well. Which in in, for you guys, it's great, but it's also sad for the eventers that are down south that are trying their hard because hardest to compete and to get those points to be able to um, qualify because they don't have as many events to go to. Yeah, absolutely. I know, like I'd
0: I'd never been to um, Bigton, which is which was um, way down south, but um, mm. but I think they've they. I think they lost their international status this year. I'm not sure. If it's oh, Victorian they did, status.
1: Lauren. It was so sad um, because they worked. Yeah. Helen and the team worked so hard for for many years, and it was a beautiful event um, yeah. with great facilities. And and really, we expected that to go up and up and up in terms of stars and and just popularity. Really, it was it was such a lovely, well run event. So it was it was a shame mm-hmm. to see that go.
0: Yeah, and that's something that I'm I'm probably guilty of as well. Is that because we're so busy with the horses, we're not that involved in in how eventing is run in this country you know british eventing is i would say possibly not the most well-liked membership organization in the world um because our our entries and everything seem to go up each year and i don't know that the service we're getting is is remarkably better for that inflation um but uh but i think the hard thing is that it's it's very difficult to be involved in the running of your sport when you're so busy competing in the sport. Like I was saying, we're, we're out competing every weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I think the um, things like the ERA, the Event Riders Association, which is run by Bruce Haskell is so important because it gives, it gives riders a, a, a mouthpiece and it gives them a a line of contact with the membership organization. And I think that's probably something that all of us riders need to get better about is voicing our concerns and our issues um, and finding a way to get the membership to, um, to kind of sit up and listen a bit.
1: Mm. Fair point point. Um, and, and how would you suggest riders do that do, do you think does every rider need to be part of the membership or can you ride without being a member of BE? Well you you can compete without being a member
0: of BE um, on day tickets instead um, which I believe once you do more than you can only do four events a year on day tickets um, and then you have to purchase either a half-year membership or a full-year membership and um, I kind of think if if you want an opinion um, and you want a voice in how events are run, then you probably do need to be a member. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. but, uh, um, but yeah, but that's something that I know as a rider, I have been lax on, and something that I would like to be more involved in.
1: Really? Well, you should go and join. See if you can join the board. Quite often, I get emails of gaps <laughs> in the board and things. You know, you should totally put your name forward, Lauren. <laughs> when there's more time maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you've only got to join like four or five meetings a year you'll be fine everybody will tell you what to say you'll be the you can be the mouthpiece for your area I'm sure the guys will love that <laughs> uh, Lauren thank you so much and um, would you mind just giving us a few little um, bits of advice for anybody that is currently in your position of how to maybe make their setup just that little bit more professional
0: um. Oh gosh. Okay. Where to start? <laughs> uh, well, the first thing I would say to everyone is get insured. Um. It's the. It's actually quite difficult to do when you're first setting up because big companies like NFU don't really want to touch you. You know, they don't want to. They don't want to insure everything under an umbrella policy until they've seen that you're up and running for a couple of years. So insurance can often be the hardest place to start when you're when you're setting up as a professional event yard. Um. That's where um, if you can get as many qualifications for your teaching as possible um, through, say, the the Pony Club or BHS, they then offer um, insurance schemes through them. Um, it's a great place to start. And then insurance companies moving on like to see that you've been insured doing that. So it really does help to put your foot in the door. Um, the, uh, the next thing is that if you are moving to a place where you're employing people, um, that is an absolute minefield. So you need to get in touch with the British Greens Association. Um, you need to know what, what you're getting into. If you're going to employ someone, you need to do it correctly, fairly, legally um, for, for both of your sakes. So my biggest my biggest piece of advice is to ask for advice. You know there's loads of membership bodies for all of these things. We all have Google now. you can Google absolutely anything you want. Um, And then the other thing is that other professional riders are really very helpful. You'd be shocked how many conversations I still have at all these one day events that I go to when I'm trotting around the dressage, other professional event riders want to talk to you and they want to talk to you about, um, you know, about how their businesses are running. So it's, it's an ongoing conversation, laws change, you know, attitudes change. So it's, it, it really should be an ongoing conversation all the time. Um, and then lastly, put your prices up. I believe you can, (laughs) you just have to, you just have to force yourself, put your prices up, value your product, know that what you're offering is good. And, um, and you know, it might mean that you, it might mean that you lose two clients, but then it means that the next two are good that come along are going to be even better, you know? So you've got to trust yourself with that one
1: incredible thank you so much um I know I've taken up way more time than uh, than you expected so I'm really grateful and um I really really wish you the best of luck this year and um and for the upcoming season
0: oh thank you so much you're
1: welcome have a great afternoon okay thanks Amy Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, you can catch up with all previous episodes of the Horse Hour podcast on our website. Just head to horsehour.co.uk. And of course, if you hit subscribe on iTunes, Acar, Stitcher, Player FM or listen on Spotify, then each new episode is automatically downloaded to your mobile phone. I love seeing what you're up to with your horses. Don't forget to tag us at Horse Hour and use hashtag Horse Hour. Hope you're really enjoying spending some time with your horses. Have a good week and I'll speak to you soon.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,